what would it take to arouse your life, to experience more connection, more pleasure, more realness in and outside of the bedroom? I'm August McLaughlin, and this is Girl Boner Radio. A common definition of insanity, actually based on the findings of Sigmund Freud, is doing the same thing over and over again, but expecting different results. I rather like this definition, and I ask you to consider, if things aren't working for you sexually, perhaps it is time to try something truly different? If not, you will likely be stuck in the same patterns for a long time, even a lifetime. Dr. Jennifer Gonzalez, aka Dr. Jen. Have you ever felt stuck in a pattern in your sex life or felt perplexed by wonky messages about sex you've received? Today, I'm so excited to be joined by Dr. Jen. The quote I read at the top appears in her newly released book, From Madness to Mindfulness, Reinventing Sex for Women, which I highly recommend. We'll be talking about mindfulness and sex, self-worth, common sexual challenges, and more. And later in the show, Dr. Megan Fleming will help us weigh in for a listener who's been feeling like she's not exciting enough in bed for her partner, who has a lot more experience than she does. Before we dive in, a huge sponsor shout out to The Pleasure Chest, my favorite shop for all things spicy pleasure, from toys and lube to books and massage candles. Check out their anal August specials, you know I love those, at thepleasurechest.com all month, or visit a location in New York, Chicago, or L.A. Now, I'm so pleased to welcome today's guest. Dr. Jen is a sociologist and intimacy coach, national speaker, co-host of the podcast Sex Talk with Clint and the Doc, and author of that book I mentioned, From Madness to Mindfulness. Dr. Jen has over 1.5 million hits on her In the Den with Dr. Jen YouTube video series and is an expert in the documentary on masturbation called Sticky, A Self-Love Story. Thank you for joining me, Dr. Jen. My pleasure. I'm still laughing about anal August. (laughs) I I need a t-shirt. Every year I'm like, why don't I have an anal August t-shirt? It has to happen. Oh, it's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) You wrote in your book that you were raised as a quote-unquote good girl. Yes. And you shared your fourth grade sex ed experience. Both of those things... I just, it makes us very kindred because I relate and I started my book with my story. (laughs) There are some similarities and some differences. For example, your mom was in the room. Yes. Well, and it's so, since my book was just released, two of my parents were visiting for me from Pennsylvania and San Diego. We were talking more about that opening story. And that's what my mom was remembering from her her vantage point. She was standing in the back of the room. The moms were standing back there. Fourth grade girls were sitting watching this cartoon like film strip um because this was like the early what late 70s early 80s um on menstruation and um all of a sudden somebody like turned to my mom apparently and said uh jennifer just threw up (laughs) so yeah because i got so warm and so just freaked out like what is this menstruation thing what is going to happen to me it just felt scary and embarrassing and confusing um and i was about 10 at the time and um, 
just viscerally was too much for me. And I was just so not prepared for it in any way. Just, yeah. just so too much for my system. Kind of funny I ended up in this field. It is funny that you could go from vomiting, <laughs> right. from learning about your period, to yeah. where you are today. Yeah, and it's funny. At one of my, I think it was my 20-year high school reunion, um, one of the women, that was the first thing she said to me. She goes, oh, my God, Jen Gonzalez. She's like, you threw up in fourth grade and now you're at the menstruation movie and now you're a sex expert. You're my favorite story. Look and I was like, now. thanks for bringing that up again. It all starts with puking, it's still, everyone. still follows me through. <laughs> but now I funny. figure I'll just own it. Start my book with the story. You know what? That's a really yeah. good way to go about go about yeah. it. Put it out there first in your yeah. own words. Own what happened. Yeah. And, and also that is kind of a good metaphor analogy and almost a literal example, you know, of those mixed messages that we receive. Oh, yeah. So it really ties so well into what you're, you're doing. And I was also struck by how you were impacted by the AIDS HIV epidemic when it first came into the media. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's because I didn't it was until I was um, working with actually an editor a couple years ago on my book. And she was a woman that was in her early 70s. And to be able to have that comparison of somebody that, you know, came of age kind of before the sexual revolution and before HIV AIDS and realize I was like, oh, OK, these are. Um, you know, that that historical vantage point was helpful to me and to realize, yeah, when I'm in what, 1991, when I started college um, in that like November or something is when Magic Johnson came out as HIV positive. And so like HIV was then suddenly really mainstream. Um, and and that was, you know, that's my coming of age. I'm like 18 and starting college. And it was only a year and a half later that I became a sexual health peer educator. And how we, you know, our perspective then is to creativity around sex and how do you have, you know, sexual activity without the exchange of fluids? Um, how do you think outside the box, which has served me really well um, in my field as an intimacy coach and sex educator and um, helping people always be creative in their sexual approaches. Um, but it's a very it is a different mindset because I'm, all, you know, and that influences my approach. I do a lot of consent teaching at colleges around the country and that perspective of like well sex should always be creative you know it's all you mm -hmm. never come into an encounter knowing what to expect it should always be organic for the two people that are there but that's a specific you know version of education I got and vantage point that still is not mainstream <laughs> frankly it's so true yes and creativity is such a huge part as you said yeah no matter what whether you're in a new relationship you're polyamorous whether you've been married to the same person for three decades yeah creativity is a huge part and I also really appreciated that you shared very honestly about because of the messaging you had and I remember learning that AIDS HIV this was like punishment like some sort of mm -hmm. in my case I learned it was like God's punishment that you know if you're gay which most of the people that we heard about first yeah um were homosexual men and that they wow look at if you do this sin then this happens to you um and I thought it was really beautiful that you shared how doing that um, outreach to to be helpful and that you had kind of internalized some of that type of message yeah. and then to shift to something that was more about self-worth. Would you share what that pivot was like? It 
it's an ongoing pivot for sure. I mean, because being raised with Catholic values um, and then, you know, which is the, the good girl ideology and sex is shameful and bad and dangerous. You need to be responsible. And then you, you tack on HIV. So now sex equals death um, and just so such a weight of responsibility. And that's that's not um, it doesn't bode well <laughs> for, um, you know, fun, open minded sexual experiences. Um uh, however, it does bode well for communication. That's it, um, in, in getting trained as a sexual health educator, peer educator in college. That meant that I've always had the skills then in talking through things. And that, I think, gave me a high level of confidence of knowing I have a right to talk about these things. This is talking about it is the right way. Not talking about it is not the right way. And so I think just that self-confidence and then, you know, choosing partners who are willing to to, to think outside the box and talk through all these topics. And, of course, Safer Sex was always, you know, at the forefront. Um, both of our pleasures mattered. So I think it really was getting trained, you know, at, starting at age 20 um, in sexual health education and how to, how to teach that to others and just normalizing all of that gave me such a confidence um, in all of these um, yeah, and all of my approaches and conversations. And then it was more like, wait, you don't want to talk about this? Wait, no, you're the one that's in the wrong, not me for wanting to talk about it. Right. So I really do think that was the way I was able to come overcome all of the shame and embarrassment around it was just through a, a matter-of-fact education perspective. Sure, sure. Yeah, and yeah. everybody knew that's what I did. So it made it easy for me. Well, of course, Jen's going to talk about sex because that's what she does. <laughs> right, so no one was surprised. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'd love for you to explain a little bit. We're we're already kind of walking through around this idea of sexual madness because I know so much of it has to do with these <laughs> yeah. messages and these these stereotypes and all of the stigma. Yeah. How do you define sexual madness? Yeah, and so this is because I am a sociologist, and so this is um, you know through that lens of seeing that as women we're raised with so many shameful messages around sex, um, uh, shameful messages about our bodies. Uh, we're embarrassed about masturbation. We fake orgasm. You know, we live in a, a culture that there's a lot of coercion around sexual activity, uh, especially for women, um, you know, and the list goes on. And and we're taught to view our bodies as the enemy and view our sex as the enemy um, and to judge ourselves for it. But then, you know, we're supposed to be adults and suddenly have a loving lifetime relationship and just flip a switch. And suddenly, as if by magic, sex is this amazing, you know, open hearted, beautiful, giving, receiving pleasure thing. And like nothing in our neuropsychology works that way. You don't just flip a switch and um, nothing works in that way. And so and then so many women think there's something wrong with them or that they're broken in some way or they blame themselves or their partners blame them. And that's what I call this madness. It's like, that's, of course, this is what you end up with. You know, if you don't, if you have zero baggage around sex and you grew up in American society as a woman, you, you were, you were the anomaly, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. yep. it's normal to have issues because how could you not being raised in a society like this? Because yeah. we are not raised to love our bodies and to be self-expressed in our um, sexuality and our needs um, and, and taking ownership around that and our pleasure. So, um, and that's madness. And then, and then somehow it's our fault, <laughs> you know, so exactly. that's what I'm and calling madness. Everyone. I mean, people of all gender identities yes. and, you know, and, and of course there are these negative messages around 
sex for men too, but it's for different, sure. right? There's a different kind of Well, they like, have a different version of it through masculinity, get, yes. for sure. And it keeps yes. them in a box too, and yeah. it keeps them not expressing their emotions, and, and it has them, you know, sometimes acting in coercive ways that they don't even know are coercive. Um, so, and then they experience their backlash or their shame. Or, I mean, it's it's bad for all of us. Um, my specialty area, though, is female sexual empowerment. So that's what the focus sure. of this book is. Yeah. yeah, and I think it really fills such a need because we hear about mindfulness. And when we hear mindfulness, I think we think yoga and meditating. <laughs> yeah. And I would love for you to speak a little bit about the importance of mindfulness in yeah. sex because I think getting through all that clutter is can be really challenging. Yes. And so mindfulness, you know, at its core is present moment awareness without judgment. And so I think right there's it's it's misunderstood that mindfulness is relaxing and it's calming. And frankly, mindfulness at its core is you being with whatever is showing up internally and externally for you in that moment and often it's not nice. <laughs> it's not pleasant. So that is a, a you know a, a core message of my book that we're we're taught that to have better sex lives we need to move towards pleasure and move towards excitement and I argue no we need to move towards discomfort and we need to move towards the pain of all of the um, discomfort of this these madness messages that we've inherited um, because otherwise we run from them we numb from them we have shame we want to bury our heads in the sand and when we can um, slowly learn the skills and have the courage to sit with all of that discomfort and breathe through it and shine a bright light on what are the meanings we've been taught um, what are our interpretations? What are the emotions? Where does that literally show up bodily sensation-wise in us? Um, it feels terrifying. Mm -hmm. um, and it is the most empowering thing we can do because yeah. then we're taking our power back. And so we can sit, breathe through it, stay with it. This is what I teach in my book. Um, then, you know, we're, you know, we're in it or we're coming through the other side of it. And now we're like, oh, yeah, that was a lot of bullshit. Like, so who do I want to be now as a sexual woman? Yeah. Um, and now you have choices that you never had before. And mm -hmm. that's the epitome of empowerment. Yes. I really, when I got to that part of your book, when you first said that we need to step into the discomfort, yeah. go toward it, move toward it, I think I cheered out loud because, <laughs> Yay. because I don't, that's not a message we hear. No, we're hearing quite the opposite yeah. nowadays. Yeah. yeah. And where I've heard that message in a helpful way has been more in therapy, like going through emotional. Yep. difficulty trying to like manage traumatic things and it's been so powerful for me to realize that it's not you don't skip you can't skip over <laughs> you can't jump over the the obstacle that you're seeing or the right. challenge that you going through it is like the most healing path and it yeah. it might be painful but that's how you get to the joy and pleasure and so yeah. often with sexual empowerment and I do this I'm like yay pleasure 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 because it's important <laughs> for but, sure yes right but we can't just like jump over this big wall <laughs> like oh right. there's orgasm land over there yeah wait can I it's can I swear? On yeah, because I already did. <laughs> I was like, I forgot to check with you. I'm sorry. So Let I call go. that putting because I'm from the East Coast too. So we're taught to be pretty blunt. Um, I call that um, putting icing on a shit cupcake. <laughs> you know, so just like, not so Sounds nice really visual. Delicious. But you get it, yeah. right? Because yeah. it is. It's like you yeah. keep pleasure, pleasure, pleasure. You put it all on top. Like we need to address what's beneath it, and then mm -hmm. we need a balance of both. Yeah, for sure. But that um, otherwise you're just you're compartmentalizing. Um, and so to be able to move through, yeah, the, the madness of it. I mean, in the it's 
it's a it's a messy um, process, and it is so beautiful <laughs> too. Yes, I think some of the messiest things we go through when we are that vulnerable and we are stepping into the the tough stuff, mm-hmm. we grow so much, and mm-hmm. there's so much reward we can't even imagine yet. Uh, I have a listener question that ties into this topic, okay. and I can't wait to hear what you think of it. It comes from a listener named Tiffany who wrote this. I have trouble quieting my thoughts during sex to the point that I can't really relax and sometimes have difficulty orgasming. It doesn't happen when I masturbate just with my boyfriend. I think it's partly because he's so much more experienced than I am. So I find myself wondering if I'm exciting enough for him. Hmm. Tiffany, thank you so much for your question. It's a really brave and important one. Here is what Dr. Megan Fleming of GreatLifeGreatSex.com had to say. Tiffany, great question. And I just know that so many women listening and their partners are going to benefit from this because it's absolutely not uncommon that women have a difficult time quieting their minds globally and also more specifically during sex. And that when that happens, to your point, you're not as relaxed or in the moment. And then you do have a more difficult time organizing, having an orgasm because we know that the foundation of arousal is relaxation. And so... First, you got to recognize where is your mind at? What is getting in the way of your being relaxed? And part of it, as you're saying, is what you're thinking about, right? You're wondering because of his experience that you're not sexy or you're not exciting enough for him. And I want to just sort of say to you, there's nothing sexy about that thought or that thinking. So really write down on a piece of paper all the things that you're probably thinking about during sex and take a step back from it. And look at it because I'm willing to bet chances are there's nothing sexy or rousy about that inner dialogue, what we often call or refer to as intrusive thoughts, and that you're actually probably turning yourself off, right? So one of the things I want to explain to you is what are the ways you can turn yourself on? Because our biggest sex organ is our brain. And as I say that, you know, that expression, our biggest sex organ is a brain or the foundation of arousal is relaxation. You know, I say these things so often that close friends of mine call them mechanisms. And I just want you to sort of notice and listen to them in my answers because they're really keys to having a great sex life, right? Is to realize in this case, what we think about is a big aspect of our arousal because arousal is both mental and physical. And I think so often we're focusing on the physical sensations. We're not recognizing where your mind is at is, again, the biggest sex organ is your brain, the most critical piece. So learning the skill that when and if you have those intrusive thoughts, how to bring your mind back to the present moment, to the sensation. Or if you have an active fantasy life, can you flip into a fantasy? You know, what is your quickest pathway back to an erotic space? You know, that could be nipple play, that could be fantasy, but really exploring and knowing on your own what gives you pleasure so that ultimately you can communicate that to your boyfriend. But again, the key here is getting your head in the right space and knowing that you have the opportunity always to be turning yourself on or off. And so learning the skills, right, that when, if you get distracted or in your head to both through sensation as well as through your thinking or fantasy to bring yourself back and turn yourself on. So as always, would love to hear how it goes. 
Thank you so much, Dr. Megan. I thought what she shared had so much to do with yeah, mindfulness. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. And uh, abs- I mean, because, you know, right away when I heard the question, I was like, OK, you know, what's what's my answer? And absolutely writing things down, um, because in like shining a bright light on like, where you know, where are your belief systems? You know, where is that going? Get it all out. Sit with the discomfort of it and breathe through it. And then I would say even at the end of your writing, come up with some kind of um you know, kind of like mantra for herself that when she notices that she's distracted, then she could choose then to focus on, um, you know, I know I'm enough or um, I am a, I am an exciting sexual woman, uh, something, something that she feels um, or at least that I'm on the journey to becoming a sexual, exciting, ex, you know, exciting sexual woman. And I say that because when we make definitive statements, sometimes our brains can be like, bullshit, you know. Oh, yeah. And so if you say I'm on the journey of or I'm on the path of becoming, sure. you know, then you're like, oh, yeah, I'm totally on that path. So and then otherwise, yeah, when you're actually in a situation and distracted, I recommend that folks um, tap into their five senses and just go through them because that's what, you know, totally anchors us in the moment. So recognizing those distracting thoughts, honoring them. And be like, okay, yeah, no, thank you. Those thoughts are there. Actually, they're trying to protect you, you know, socially and emotionally in some way, even though they are also undermining. And so acknowledge the distracting thoughts and then choose to be like, okay, I'm going to focus on what I'm feeling right now and what I'm feeling in my partner and what I feel in my body and what I feel on these sheets. And maybe make sure you have music in the background that you really like. So then you can focus on that and what you're listening to or have a candle lit and something you can smell, like something, all of those things, all five of our senses anchor us in the moment and are just to really um, just to retrain our brains. Um, you know, you'll always have distractions that come up. So just acknowledge them. Don't don't fight them and don't judge them. Mm. Um, just acknowledge them, even thank them, and then choose to bring your focus back to your five senses. So. I like that so much, especially that it does stop the self-criticizing mm-hmm. for having the thoughts mm-hmm. because that seems to me more destructive than anything is when we are like, yep. oh my gosh, there's something wrong with me because I'm doing this. And I'm yes. and as you said, if it's protective, mm-hmm. it's normal, it happens. And yep. then refocusing. I love the mantra idea. That's really <laughs> yeah. cool. That's really yeah. cool. And that's, I mean, the that's why the, it's the second part of mindfulness is, you know, it's present moment awareness without judgment. And I like to say instead with compassion for yourself. So because um, without judgment, I mean, that's important there because otherwise you know we call that like you're throwing secondary darts at yourself you're already having negative thoughts and now you're beating yourself up for having those negative thoughts and you're down a whole nother you know downward spiral um, versus not judging them but then actually having kindness towards yourself and that's why like the thanking yourself is a real kind of paradigm shift and shifting your energy yeah completely completely that's so powerful what are some of the other really common challenges that you see coming up today yeah, I, well, ooh, a lot of things. Um, so, I mean, one thing I see in my private practice a lot is um, couples in long-term relationships um, with mismatched desire levels. And specifically, I've seen a lot in my practice with women um, who are struggling with low desire and otherwise happy relationships, communicative, respectful. I mean, because otherwise, if you know, if there's issues in the relationships, if your partner's angry and yelling at you a lot, you know, if you don't communicate well, if you've got a lot of resentments, you know, all of those factors are relevant. But sometimes even in really just healthy relationships she's like I just don't feel desire anymore and I'm like physiologically that makes sense we're not necessarily wired for that after the first few years we don't have that neurochemical um you know cocktail like the punch drunk falling anymore. in love anymore right because and and I always joke I'm like 
God, if we did, if we stayed in that like state of It'd burning be kind a of candle, awful. well, <laughs> who who would who would go to school? Who would go to right. work? Like you'd never sleep. Like who would take care of children? You'd just yeah. be up all night having wild sex. Yeah, and also, I mean, I think it's it's so exciting when that's happening, but it's, it's also amazing. there's a little bit of sickness. It feels to me like like it feels a little bit like it's almost nauseating to the point that it's like so you're like so high that it's like I remember just like feeling. I can't like walk quite straight. I don't know. I mean, it just it throws you so much for a loop that there's something very grounding about having a deeper intimacy over the long term. Yes. And at the same time, knowing that you can still have the that excitement. It's different. It's different. But you yes. have to it's not necessarily going to just happen by itself, right? Right. And so I think, you know, we take um, you know, horniness for granted often and how easy it feels in the beginning of, of many relationships. And when that's not there in the long run, most of us are absolutely ill-equipped to know how to do anything with that and to not blame ourselves or think we're broken or our partners think we're not attracted to them anymore and they feel rejected. Um, and then everybody's got body image issues and it's just, and, and we're so ill-equipped. Like we do not have skills to talk just regularly about sex, let alone when we actually have sex problems um, yeah. and how deeply that impacts our self-worth. So that's one of the things, you know, I work with um, women and couples around a lot. And I do. I bring in the mindfulness. I bring in like what Dr. Megan said, like, how do we take responsibility for our own desire mm-hmm. and our own arousal and knowing that? How do we talk to our partners about that? Um, and a lot of it is is creating... Um, you know, because, for example, I have, um, you know, with some couples I'll work on like a I'll teach them a one to five scale. And so their partner comes up and says, hey, you know, it's been a little while. I'd like to, you know, have have some sexy time tonight. And, you know, I've talked to some women and their immediate response is like, no. And so I go, what if you play with like a one to five scale and you say, "Okay, hold on, I'll come back to you in 20 minutes. Let me check in. And so their partner's basically like a five on that scale. They want everything, (laughs) you know, everything sexual they can do. But you're like a two or a three because you would like physical closeness. Um, You don't want the pressure of expectation. Um, You don't know if your body's going to turn on, but you would like some closeness. And so using that as a scale of checking in and be like, hey, so so that you don't have to say no all the time, but you can kind of be in a negotiation around it and you're still getting intimacy and physical closeness, sure. and but in a safe way. And then your body can respond, um, but it might not. And that's all okay also. So, I mean, that's those are really higher yeah. levels of um, communication for couples. Which that alone seems to me, because it is vulnerable, could mm-hmm. lead to turn on without you trying to because you're connecting with a partner. Yes. What challenges do you see, or I don't know if these this is within your client base, but for a woman who has a higher desire in a relationship, I feel like that brings up some different kinds of issues because totally. of the self-shaming, like, because of what we're taught, that, like, yes. if you're a woman, then you, you're not supposed to have the higher sex drive. Right. And if she's, and if she's a heterosexual woman and with a male partner, um, then, and then he can be, like, well, I'm not masculine enough or I'm not man enough. And um, right, that's a whole like gender role reversal that causes all sorts of, you know, angst for folks and shame for folks. So that's, I mean, just unpacking that in the first place and unpacking their gender role socialization is really important and saying like, there's no like, 
you know, quote unquote, normal or right way of having a sexual relationship. All that depends on is each each couple or each you know group, if it's a pod, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, but each couple and whatever is right to them um, organically day to day and working on that. And so just, you know, yeah, taking out the, the gender role aspect of it and just finding what's, you know, individually right um, for each couple and, and them as an entity. Totally. Is the starting point. That makes there. so much sense to me. I one thing that fuels all of my work is that I feel that perhaps in in my experience and something I've observed a lot is that people if you identify as as female a lot of times are if we have low desire it's because of like these messages and because we're maybe um, dealing with misogyny or we're dealing with you know all these different things that we think it's all about sex but it's really not all about sex is that something that you speak about or see a lot yeah, I mean, I think our we don't understand desire well. Again, like outside of the the initial neurochemicals of excitement and newness and dopamine with the pleasure, um, and that's just we are wired as animals to be like that. Outside of that, we don't really have a good understanding, and that's why there's no, you know, they they've tried to get female desire quote unquote pills on the market, and while there's some stuff, it's not really addressing desire and that because it is so because it's hormonal it's it's physiological it's um it's your body image concerns it's your self-worth and self-esteem it's um you know your ingrained um religious beliefs it's some of them could be ingrained sexism um it could be the specific you know relationship that you're in and how that person treats you um it's also you know our our design of the nuclear family is not great for women and it's exhausting um and still you know the the, the brunt of the housework still falls on women um and child rearing you know even if the women are working outside the home and so that like why the hell should you feel desire you should be tired oh my gosh you should just yeah. want to sleep and because we're sleep deprived as a nation yeah. there's like it's badge of honor to be tired and not get much that sleep. drives me crazy where it's like i haven't eaten or slept in three days and it's like accomplishments oh my gosh no it's sad to me yes it, it's sad and it's it's also i'm sad that there's pressure on people to, to yeah. do that and i think especially for women and if you yeah. are raising kids as well and you have all of like the emotional labor of running the household for example as well it's yeah how do you have time to even no and the the and and how much is put on parents today in terms of the level of parenting they're supposed to be doing of making their kids everything and making sure they give them every possible opportunity um none of that bodes well for um having sexual desire none of it bodes well for just being present in your body for being open to exploring pleasure women often can't even have self-nurturing time um, or they get judged you know for taking time for them or self-nurturing shows up as um you know a bottle of wine (laughs) with your girlfriends and not that it's not important to take time like that but it's also a numbing activity um, so, which, you know, is the opposite of mindfulness and not that, <laughs> yeah. trust me, I've had a lot of wine in the past week with my book launch <laughs> and it's been lovely. Yeah. So not judging that, but, um, all of that, like it just, it's no wonder, you know, we're, we're, um, you know, so many couples in long-term relationships have, you know, quote unquote, sexless, sexless marriages or sure. sexless relationships. And all the focus because... then goes on the lack of sex, quote unquote, right? Yeah. And, and instead of going, 
are you happy in your daily life? Do you feel fulfilled? Are you, do you have your own right. passions or curiosities right. that you can pursue? How's your stress level? How much yeah. sleep are you getting? Honestly, and I, I don't know if you know Lisa Demore's work. She's a psychologist. She's had a new book that just came out, and I listened to her some podcast. I'm reading her books. Her specialty area is teen girls. Um, and her latest book is looking at why there's such a high anxiety and depression rate in teen girls. And um, one of the basic factors uh, is social media, for sure. And then a secondary part of that and our phones is that their phones are going off at nighttime or it's distracting them in their sleep. And they're just not getting enough sleep. Oh, gosh. And I think and I so if I think if you look at our society overall and our high rates of depression and anxiety, it's got to be and, and, and low sex rates. It's mm-hmm. got to be sleep related just as a, at a fundamental level, let alone all our messed up messages in society <laughs> yeah. and our crisis of consent. Yes, um, yes. Absolutely. I like think the sleep at, is. The pyramid of needs, Asma's pyramid. Mm, yeah. The, that's been revamped, right? Where it's like, but you have to take care of your basic needs before you can build right. on that and get to that right. frosting. So yes. the cupcake is not made <laughs> exactly. out of poo. Yeah. Um, yeah. So is a really important first step for a lot of people to try to find ways to rest? I mean, yeah. I mean, that's that's like a that it's so crazy that sleep and and like so I'm uh, it's so crappy, but I need way more sleep than the average person. Like it's and it sucks. It's not I need like nine, nine and a half hours sleep. It is so hard to get. And I don't sleep soundly. And I think that's why. Um, and so I wake up easily. I don't sleep soundly. I travel for work and I'm and I love travel. It's just and the older I get, I'm in my mid 40s now. Like I just it's it's killing me. Um, and it's so interesting the number of people when I'm be like, yeah, I need a lot of sleep. I need like nine, nine and a half hours. They're like, oh, that must be nice. And I'm like, are you kidding? I'm like, I think about if I only needed six or seven hours, like how much more work I could get done, how much more productive I would be. But that's so interesting. That's the response. They're like, oh, how luxurious of you. Look at you just spending half your day in bed. And I was like, it's, you it's, have to work to fit it in too, which is interesting. You yeah, know, like not is, have if you have something late at night, then you have to think about when you're scheduling in the morning. Oh yeah, and no, I don't do morning. Sleep, is, <laughs> sleep is a thing, man. I, I, it took me decades to figure out how to sleep well, and it, I'm very delicate about it. Like if I have, I'm an early bird, very much so, and if I have loud. If I speak loudly at night, I won't fall asleep. Like, I need to have everyone use quiet voices. I have, um, I won't look at, like, I have lights dimmed in the evening. But finally I'm sleeping. But it took, like, and if I, and I know that I pay the price. If I go out at night, I will... It'll take me forever to fall asleep because I'm so wired. If yes. I get around people, I'm like, oh, same. I know. And then I'll sleep for like three hours yes. and I'll feel like crap the next day. Yep. So I'm like, I will do that, but I have to be very choosy. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I do it. It's so, not easy. And it, it is, it's, and it's fighting, um, like to, to prioritize your sleep as basic as it is, it, that's like breaking a social norm in our society. So at a fundamental level, that's insane how much we're working against ourselves and our happiness. Um, I mean, because sleep impacts your, you know, how your productivity at work, how irritated you are with your partner, oh, um, moods, how much man. you yeah. want sex or not. <laughs> we, yep. The tireder we are, the more we eat and the less like we are to exercise. So like just all around in our health. And I, I've got I'd have to think, um, you know, because I think there, there's research studies that show when we turn the clocks, what, ahead and we lose an hour, there's more accidents. 
that next day, like that Monday, there's more accidents because wow. people have lost an hour's sleep across the board and they're already sleep deprived. So that's dangerous. Um, yeah. I mean, that just shows you what a great example of how important sleep is. Yes. Yeah. That's huge. So this is so funny. Yeah. It's funny we're going down this path because I've never actually talked about this to this I, extent before. Right. And yeah. as we're talking, I'm thinking it must be for anyone who's feeling really stressed out about having low desire or maybe you and your partner just are not having as much sex as you might both wish you would like. Yes. That a first step might actually be, don't even think, let's like put sex on a shelf right now. For like a couple weeks, let's see if we can sleep more or like rest more or yeah. what would happen. Because I think that sometimes when we clear the, the air, yeah. then because how can you can't just like force something in there again. It's the yeah. looking at the discomfort. Is your discomfort from this? Is it from yeah. that? And it's interesting. I was working with a client and she um, she was seeing a, a psychiatrist also and some medications. And she's just habitually tired at work, can't get up in the mornings, um, sleeping for so long on the weekends. And so I was coaching her and I said, um, I'm like, well, how much sleep do you get? And she said like seven hours. And I go, maybe you need eight or eight and a half. She switched that. I talked to her a month later and had a session with her. Life was totally turned around. That was it. Like, that was it. And, and our psychiatrist was going to put her on all sorts of medications and stuff like that, wow. addressing what, you know, they thought other things were going on. And I was like, oh, wow. And I thought that because I was reading, you know, Lisa Demore's book. And I was like, wait a second. Maybe other people actually do need more sleep like I do. I think so. Um, I think it's it's got to be epidemic because even I went to the airport really, really early in the morning the other day. And I'm shocked by how many people are on the road already because there's traffic. Of course, it's yeah. L.A., so there's traffic. <laughs> but you are if you're doing that every day, if you're getting up at five and you're probably not going to bed at eight. Right. You know? Exactly. And why Why else would Starbucks be so popular in our country? It's so But true. between the caffeine and the sugar. Yeah. So, But I love what you were saying. And just um, about like, you know, if you put. Um, you know, sex on a shelf, which is, it, you, it, I laugh to myself because often I say, I'm like, just put sex on the table. And I was like, wait, 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 no, not sex on the table because then it sounds like you're having sex <laughs> on the table. Go home and have so, sex on the table, which could be fun, which but maybe not great, right? <laughs> um, But just that big picture of looking at, um, you know, if you are struggling with your desire, look at your, your basic physiology and look at how how much are you nurturing yourself? How much are you taking time for yourself? And if you spent a month focusing on that and every day just little activities for yourself and even if it's just a five-minute meditation or a little uh, spiritual reading or something that's motivating to you and like once a week then you do something that actually treats yourself and even if it's um, you get an hour away with a cup of tea and reading a pleasure book you know a fiction book um, or from madness to mindfulness reinventing sex for women <laughs> you know I recommend that why not um, but just like you know for women out there listening to this if this is resonating with you you know sit down and make up a list of five different things that are nurturing to you that are also really healthy for you and if it's you know going for a walk for a half hour at lunchtime um you know whatever it is and look at you know um, i like looking at things holistically so look at it physically mentally emotionally socially and spiritually um, and, you know, find something in all five of those categories for yourself. And that's then how we can live more balanced and be more stable and be happier um, and be fueling ourselves um, so that we're not just surviving, but we can actually thrive. Yes, which is the, the goal, right? We don't want to just get through. We want to live fully and 
And, and then, we have that luxury yeah. in our society, most yeah. of us. You know, we yeah. have the, the, the stability of our basic needs being met um, or, or, or or we're not meeting them through sleep and things like that. But in right. general. But we, but we hopefully could. could. I think most exactly. of us could do better at yes. least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I, I need to give ourselves permission to do it. Yes. I have a whole section in my book about giving uh, women like give yourself permission. And that's crazy that we have to say that. But it, our, that's part of our gender role. Socialization as women is to prioritize everybody else's needs and not take care of ourselves. So, you know, making a list of what are things you can give yourself permission to and make that a mantra for yourself yes. and know that you this is, you know, you, you'll better serve the world if this is the motivation you need. Mm-hmm. You'll better serve the world if you first take care of yourself. So true. Yes. You know. And that it's about thriving, I think, is so important that that is a goal. I think for a lot of people who are struggling, they aren't really able to picture what that is. They're just thinking, I want to get rid of this particular problem. Yeah. Could you speak to some of the the rewards of really doing this work and maybe share some examples when you step into the discomfort? Because I imagine there's a lot more benefit than, than merely the sex piece, which is wonderful. Yeah. Maybe your sex is more pleasurable, which is also yeah. wonderful. Yeah, I can. Um, I was asked this question on a webinar recently, you know, because I was talking about mindfulness, and somebody was like, "Dr. Jen, can you, you know, what's been the personal benefits for you?" And um, it's so sometimes I have clients that are women, like in their mid twenties or so, and they're they're trying to find their voice. They're working on body image issues. They're interested in kind of spiritual sexuality topics, and I hear their concerns, and I was like, "Oh my God, I was exactly like that twenty years ago." And it's all in my journals from when I was in grad school. All my rants about men and insecurities and all of that and so and you know here I am you know and I started really uh, learning about mindfulness and putting it into action uh, 15 years ago and um, it's such a world of difference and you know one thing in particular I, I you know I know examples now of say something like really disappointing happens you know relationship wise or career wise um, in the past that could have taken several weeks to work through and now it'll be just hours and it's not I'm not it doesn't mean I don't feel it all. Like, I feel it all still. It's all there, and it's angst and ickiness and hurt in my chest and drop feeling in my stomach and nausea and all of those things. Um, but I shine a bright light on it. I sit with it. I, I accept it. I breathe through it. Um, and I've built up so much emotional resilience. Um, and I have the courage to sit with it. Um, and then um, and then I breathe through it and I know what to do with it. And I might journal on it sometimes. And then sometimes it'll be a few hours later. I'll look back and I'll be like, oh, my God, that already feels like one quarter of what it felt like two hours ago. And something that would have taken weeks before. Mm. And so that is the that's the applied mindfulness that I'm doing every day in all of my, you know, relationships and friendships and with my family and in mm. my work. And um so, you know, I always say mindfulness um, in the long run absolutely leads to this type of um, calmer, happier, more grounded way of moving through the world. But from battlefield to battlefield, it's it hurts and it's disconcerting and it's confusing and it's difficult. Um, and we're all do it as humans. Like we all have this at this fundamental level. Um, and that's that's part of what's helped me because I've taken compassion, cultivating compassion classes and to be able to sit with my own suffering um, and have compassion for myself and then have compassion for all of the people in the world that are suffering with the same type of thing I am right now. Mm. Um, wow, that totally transforms the energy of that. And I don't get stuck in it. Um, I now have hope and I can move through it and I have kindness and a lightness towards 
myself. Mm-hmm. And so it's a really beautiful way to move through yeah. our own suffering oh, and honoring I love it. everyone to have that because <laughs> we're going to suffer. There's going to be, yeah, these things are going to come up. Yeah. But to be able to move through them more quickly without that being the goal necessarily, it's a byproduct that you right. just, you know, because we can't force it. But as you work no. that muscle that you yes. go, I'm here with it and having that self-compassion. I want to end with one of your writing prompts toward you this time. Oh. Um, so you have these lovely prompts throughout your book. Yeah, at the end of each chapter, I have like worksheets you yeah. can write in. Yeah. Which is such a powerful way. You know, I'm a huge fan of, of journaling too. And yeah. and to be able to tap into all of your own thoughts and let things flow. And it really makes, I think, the mindfulness, the guided mindfulness wonderful because you have all these um Prompts designed to help, especially in the realm of sexuality, intimacy, yeah. and self-worth. This one, I'm sure you have many answers to. Oh, it's so funny. I was like, oh, my God, what's she going to ask? <laughs> <laughs> um, what do you wish someone had told you or taught you about your sexuality? Oh, yeah. When I talk about, like, teaching 15-year-olds and stuff like that. Um, I-, I think I I wish – because I got those fear messages so heavy um, and just like that, like that it's you're not a good girl type of thing. And so I wish somebody had detached um, like sexual experiences from self-worth um, and had also um, like I'm lucky. I'm lucky that my early boyfriends were kind um, and, you know, moved at a slow pace. And not that I didn't feel pressured at time. That was definitely there. And that's part of my consent stories I talk about in other places. Um, but at least I got to go at a slower pace. And, you know, I talk about sometimes how I didn't even I didn't even know I had a clitoris. That was never taught in anatomy class till my first boyfriend at 18. Thankfully, he knew about it. Somehow mm-hmm. he learned about it. You're like, this is a keeper. I know. <laughs> yeah. He knows something. So, yeah. Um, but that's insane that I'm learning about, it you know, is, a part yeah. of my anatomy from a person who doesn't even have that part of right. the anatomy. It still is happening so yeah, much. Yeah. Exactly. So I think um, just that detachment from fear and um, and worth mm-hmm. um, and that that normalization of sexuality as um, that's something to explore and it's okay to have your voice in it. And, and I think also just that teachings around... Um, you know, what to do if somebody is pressuring you, what to do if you say no. And then, you know, in my case, because I identify as heterosexual and then the man, you know, keeps pushing and keeps trying, keeps trying. And then finally you give in because you're tired of saying no. And so like just how to handle those things. And so because I became a sexual health peer educator at such an early age, I then started really getting up on my I joke about on my um, actually I think this is my consent video, um, my naked 2 a.m. soapbox of like, what the hell are you doing? Like, I'm the biggest buzzkill. I'm like, you start pressuring me, I will buzzkill the entire situation. I like that approach, though. Club soapbox. <laughs> Get up on it. I know. It. I'm bug naked because we've been fooling around and being like, dude, I gave you my boundaries. I have so clearly committed communicated these over and over again and you keep pushing this is not okay and all of the men are like in in my 20s 30s and even into my 40s and they they're shocked Mm -hmm. because they have no idea what they're doing is actually coercive so it's um certainly awkward and uncomfortable but I was like but it's a lesson they need and it's a yes. lesson you deserve to have respected I mean yeah that's, that's huge and nowadays I've been getting feedback afterwards of being like uh, yeah, thank you. I needed to hear that. That was like super awkward and uncomfortable. And um, I've never thought about it that way before. Yeah. And they'll never think about that again in the same way they yes. did. Yes. Yeah. Which yeah. is, you Which know, is it's, it's not the most efficient way to be making You're like change. A, a mid-coital activist. One man at a time. <laughs> Activist. That's what's going on here. That's shirt. what's going Next on my, to my shirt. anal yeah, Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Would you tell people where they can p- 
purchase your book, learn yes. more about you, watch your videos. Yeah, I'm so, I mean, my books are available online and where books are sold. So Amazon's the easiest place to get it from madness to mindfulness. My website, Dr. Jen's Den, so D-R-J-E-N-N-S-D-E-N, is my hub for everything. Uh, my YouTube channel, In the Den with Dr. Jen, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all that's Dr. Jen's Den. Um, so yeah, please find me online, follow me, engage in the conversation. I'd love to hear from folks. Thank you so much for being here and for the incredibly important work you're doing. Yeah, and thank you again for a book endorsement. I really it was my appreciate pleasure. it. It was such an honor. Yeah, it's it was really fun to have a chance to read it in advance. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and have like anticipation as it's c- going to be coming out. Yeah, and, and you're on the back cover of my book. I with am. Your quotes. Which means so yes. much to me. Thank you so, for that. Thank yeah. You. So everybody, check that out, please. And if you read it, please post a review. Yeah. That's really oh, please. Important. Yeah, for sure on Amazon. Especially that would be really for sex helpful. books, because yeah, we don't have the same doors open to us. No, that's for uh, sure. Yeah, yeah. And if you're enjoying Girl Boner Radio, please also post a review where you're listening and hit that subscribe button so you'll never miss an episode and so that we can reach more people with these messages. Thank you so much for listening and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week. Girl Boner Radio is owned, operated, and executively produced by me, August McLaughlin, with technical producer and audio extraordinaire, Mackenzie Mazel, as part of the Period Podcast Network, an affiliate of Starburns Industries. Learn more about the Girl Boner podcast brand movement and book series at girlboner.org and more about Period at periodnetwork.com. <laughs>